I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. We're sitting on a bench and I said, what are we doing? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, we're like little kids. I said, well, you said you'd be willing to shrink our distance to zero. And he said, yes, I would be willing to shrink our distance to zero. <laughs> so anyway, we ended up kissing on the street. And that was that was the beginning of our summer fling. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. When people send me their love questions, often they're asking about the long game. Like, where is this relationship going? Will the pieces all fall into place? My advice is usually, you can't worry so much about the future. Now is the only thing we know, the only thing we can hope to control. It can be hard to hear that, because look, we all want to know how things are going to work out. If we're making the right decisions. If our intuition is correct. If our doubts carry some important warning. Today, I want to share a story about a woman who's learned to put all of that aside. She's learned to live in the moment and not get carried away with what comes tomorrow. I'm Megan, and I'm 53. I live outside of Boston. And right now, I'm currently working for a friend's software company. My kids are in college and on the way to college. For Megan, her zen-like mindset did not come easily. It took many years. In her romantic life, she's learned that the best laid plans can fall apart. Megan's story begins in 1989, when she is fresh out of Oberlin College. I had had this dream to ride my bike across America, so I got a couple of friends, and we did it. We flew out to Seattle, and we spent the better part of the summer bicycling back east. I had worked as a waitress before that to earn enough money for the trip, and when I got home, I was out of money and thinking, okay, now I have to start my real job, my real life. What am I going to do? On her way across the country, Megan had met with her college advisor. The advisor sold her on this idea of working as an environmental mediator, someone who would help resolve land use or pollution cases. And so I pedaled back to Connecticut, where I grew up and announced to my family that I was moving to Washington, D.C., and that I was going to look for a job in environmental mediation. She moves in with her mother's best friend in Maryland and starts looking for work. It doesn't go so well at first. All the environmental jobs demand prior experience. But she lands a position with a nonprofit mediation service that works in D.C. Superior Court. She helps process local criminal and civil cases. My boss was the host of a jazz radio show, so I started learning about jazz and going to jazz shows and dancing with my friends in the clubs, and I sang in a gospel choir at the big, predominantly African-American Catholic church that I went to in D.C., and I was very single and really, you know, hoping for a first love. She does meet some people in D.C., 
She has one or two relationships. But ultimately, they don't lead anywhere. After a couple years in the job, Megan decides to leave D.C. for grad school at Tufts outside Boston. It's not long before she moves that she first encounters Anthony. Anthony is a young lawyer in the U.S. Attorney's Office. The evenings is when we would have the mediations and prep for the trials. And so somehow or another, we were in the office a few evenings, and I remember him being this young, smart, handsome, like very knowledgeable, very charismatic guy. Anthony is way out of her league, Megan thinks. He's a few years older. He's got a degree from Harvard Law. He's got experience at a big New York law firm. My first memory of him, he was sitting on a desk in, I think, like, in my boss's office. So, you know, it was after work hours. And he was like, you know how professors, he wasn't even a professor yet, which he is now, but you know how they sit on the desks and kind of look all smart and, like, sure of themselves. So that's what he was doing. And he was kind of lecturing to us about, you know, some issues that we were dealing with. You said professor and I thought L.A. law. <laughs> like this sort of, like, attractive lawyer type. It, it takes a certain amount of confidence to sit on a desk, like on the backside of the desk, and like, I don't know, there's just something about it. And he now says that he was incredibly arrogant, too. Like, his professors called him arrogant. It's like, part of me is like, are you a jerk or are you very sexy? It's hard to know, because you can, <laughs> it can be both. Right, exactly, exactly. I, I want to have the kind of confidence where I'm just sitting on a desk, That's and right. it doesn't even have to be mine. turns out that Anthony is also about to relocate to the Boston area. He's accepted a job teaching at Boston College Law School. This is before cell phones or texting or even email. Megan doesn't remember exactly how she and Anthony remained in touch as they left D.C. She thinks she probably gave him her parents' phone number. So they reconnect in Boston. She visits him at B.C. Law. They start meeting frequently at this one coffee shop called Beans. He brought out the best in me in terms of the things that I felt like I could talk about. And I loved our conversations. They were stimulating and energizing and fun. And we laughed. And it became a nice ritual. Eventually, Megan and Anthony graduate from having coffee to biking together. She's planning to do a bike race up Mount Washington in New Hampshire. He agrees to train with her. Anthony starts coming to her house early in the morning for these rides from Cambridge out to Walden Pond. Megan leaves the door unlocked for him. And he would just come in my house and say, Megan, you know, and I'd be upstairs in my bedroom, in my pajamas, and he'd say, you know, Megan, it's time to get up. And he later told me that he thought that those were really intimate moments, like to come into someone's house and, you know, actually be the one to wake wake you up. Well, it, it is really intimate, even if he's not going into your bedroom. It's just like there's something very... It's seeing somebody when they wake up in the morning. You know what I mean? Of, of just... And being a part of their trust circle and their, like, rhythm of a morning. You know, like, you can just walk in and I trust you to do that. I mean, which, which begs the question, what did you think was going on here <laughs> emotionally? Well, <laughs> I think I must have been really out of it because I didn't clue into those kind of things at the time. I hadn't had very many relationships. So I just didn't have a whole lot of experience. I'm still in my early 20s at this point. And so for me, it was just like a friend, like any other friend coming, you know, we were going biking. And 
I had definitely been attracted to him, but like I said before, he felt out of my league and I was waiting in this very old fashioned way for the guy to be very expressive and upfront about his interest and to say, Megan, I'm attracted to you. I think you're cool. Will you go out on a date with me? Megan and Anthony are both dating other people during this period. They tell each other about their respective partners. At some point, though, during their blooming friendship, Anthony sends Megan a dozen roses for her birthday. And I just thought, well, he's taken, and so these must just be, you know, friendship roses. Friend friend roses. Friend roses. <laughs> friend dozen birthday red roses. <laughs> yeah. You know, like friends do. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I have sent some friends flowers and and vice versa, but yeah, like that might have been a small hint. I know. I know. So silly me. Amid all this unspoken romantic tension with Anthony, Megan meets a guy through some college friends. We ended up getting together and started seeing each other, and he was... Very attractive, really fun. We we had a lot of things in common. And at one point, we were kissing on the sidewalk, and it must have been before work. And I think we both were biking to work those days. So we were probably, you know, we'd probably spent the night at my house, and then we had our bicycles, and we were going to go our separate ways. And we were just, like, passionately kissing on the sidewalk. Anthony called me later that day and he said, Megan, I saw you kissing somebody on the sidewalk. He said, well, it made me wish that it was me. And it was the first time he ever really said something to me explicit. What was your reaction? (laughs) So I remember thinking in my head, too late, dude. You know, I wish you'd said something earlier, but now I'm like really into it with this other guy. So I think I must have just laughed and... I don't remember if I said too late, but that was my thought. This is the point where Anthony and Megan, despite being so close, begin to drift apart. It's the late 1990s. They both get married, Megan to the guy she'd been kissing on the street, Anthony to a fellow law professor he meets at a conference. I think my wedding was first. And I think by the time I had my wedding, we, were, we weren't really hanging out anymore, Anthony and I. And I don't remember how that faded away, but it did. Each of them starts a family and settles into life. They fall out of touch. And yet, Megan's memories of her friendship with Anthony remain wonderful. I always remembered him as being someone who made me feel amazing. I loved being with him. I was very intellectually stimulated when I was with Anthony. And enjoyed our conversations so much. And that those kinds of friendships are ones that I don't like to let go of. When I have a connection with someone, I don't like the idea of that ending or going away. Their story continues after a short break. We're back. So every couple of years, as Megan and Anthony pursue their own paths, she tries to reach out to him just to learn what's going on in his life. Their communication is limited, though. Sometimes she doesn't hear back at all. Eventually, they reconnect thanks to Facebook. 
They start meeting occasionally for coffee and lunch in the Boston area. Did it felt like the original coffees or did it have a different vibe? A little different because we were more grown up and we were talking about our our girls and our kids and our marriages. Not much about our marriages, but a little bit. It was a lot about the logistics of our lives. And I think what we both appreciated was our history and knowing someone for so long and just having that familiarity and trust with the other person. And I do remember thinking that he was just as cute as ever and just as smart as ever and just as wonderful as ever and really enjoying his company and happy that we were reconnecting. Megan is still married at this point, but she's feeling pretty lonely in that marriage. Anthony is still married too. He's traveling back and forth between the U.S. and Sweden, where his wife is from and where she has a job. Then around 2017, while Anthony is in Sweden, his wife abruptly leaves him. So I got the phone call and he was really very upset sounding. He isn't a very emotionally expressive person, but I could tell that this was awful. He was alone in a very dark country in the at Christmas time in Sweden, the light never shines, I think maybe for an hour a day or something. So he's alone, he doesn't know anyone. And so I started talking to him every day while he was there. It was a couple of weeks, and I felt like we became pretty close through that. It was traumatic for him, and I was really worried about him. And so then he came back, and we, you know, I wanted to see him right away, just make sure he was okay. By this point, Anthony is teaching at a different law school several hours from Boston, but he's kept an apartment in Boston. In 2018, after years of growing apart, Megan and her husband decide to get a divorce. They tell the kids, separate, start the process. Some time passes. And then Megan meets someone new through her church. That relationship lasts about a year, into 2019. Megan's divorce, meanwhile, is finalized on March 12, 2020, literally the day before everything begins shutting down because of COVID. I think we were the last people in the courtroom, in the courtroom, you know. You probably were yeah. because I, a lot of people I know and a lot of people who write letters are on the podcast and they talk about divorce and they're like, well, now, we, you know, we had to wait because obviously, but. And it had gotten postponed a whole bunch of times. So we are so lucky. We like slid in at the last. You like get divorced and then you're like, okay, I now immediately I need to buy toilet paper. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I get divorced and I'm like, woohoo, I'm free. And then boom, you know. Yeah, it's like, no, you're you're not going anywhere. So where did Anthony fall in your sort of greater group of people you might have a walk with or call or Zoom with? Like, um, was he inner circle or was he, where, what, where was the friendship at that point? I remember having a couple socially distant walks with him. So he was one of those friends. I, I only shared a bubble with my children and my ex-husband. Even with six feet of distance, though, Megan can tell. That old spark with Anthony, it's still there. I had now developed better ability to read people's signals, and I could tell that he was probably interested. Based on how, how what it was like to be with him uh, when we were having coffee and dinner, like, in the last year. Him knowing that we were both divorced, and yes, it was COVID, and we're all staying 
keeping our distances, but I could see that there were even, and despite the fact that he wasn't outwardly expressively saying how he felt, you know, I think I had learned some things and I could now tell that he would probably be willing to date me. One complication though, Anthony has told Megan that he's tired of driving back and forth between his out-of-state job and his apartment in Boston. He gets an apartment closer to his work and plans to relocate in August of 2020. And this is where Megan starts to think, you know what? I'm not going to worry so much about Anthony moving away or what comes next. I'm going to live in the moment. I, you know, I've lived through a whole marriage. I've lived through another, like, one-year little relationship. And I have in mind my perfect person or the ideal person that I would like to find. And I didn't think Anthony really fit that profile. And so I thought, he's super cute. He's single. (laughs) He's a good friend. I trust him. I know, you know, what his life is like. So in terms of, like, COVID and health and stuff, it felt safe. And he's leaving in a month, so why don't I suggest that we get together? (laughs) And so that felt fun, you know, exciting. So we said, why don't, let's go have dinner. And then I think I remember in a text saying, in a kind of suggestive way, you know, you you tell me what you're comfortable with or what you can tell me what you want to do or something like that. And he got the message because then he texted back, I'd be okay if we shrunk our distance to zero or something like that. They have tacos at an outdoor restaurant. They take a romantic walk down to the Charles River. One thing leads to another, and then here they are, finally kissing on the street. It has been 25 years since Anthony watched enviously as Megan kissed her boyfriend like this. Now, it's his turn. How does it progress? What happens next? So we were squeezing in as much time with each other as we possibly could before he moved. And at one point I said, oh, it's too bad you're moving. And he said, well, I'm not falling off the face of the earth. We can keep seeing each other. And I thought, oh, <laughs> um, that's that's a new thought. I hadn't really thought about that. And he said, are you going to miss me when I, when I go? And I said, yes, definitely. And he said, well, I'm willing to drive. And I knew that because he'd been doing it for many years in the other direction. And so I said, yes, let's keep seeing each other. Do you think that Actually, the absence of pressure, the fact that you'd already defined this as a fling made it easier to fall for him because you weren't in your head about, are we on the right track? I don't know. That's a loaded question, but... 100%. 100%. Yeah. I find it so interesting that I am falling in love under circumstances that surprise me. And it's because I am really just living in the moment in this relationship, not worrying about what the future is, not putting pressure on the relationship because it's just this beautiful thing for right now. And it's, it's deepening in ways that are surprising me. One reason this is all a bit surprising to Megan is that despite her years-long attraction to Anthony, they're actually pretty different. He watches a lot of TV and movies. Megan really doesn't. She loves being outside in nature. She's actually climbed all of New Hampshire's 48 peaks above 4,000 feet. 
Anthony, not so much, partly because of allergies. Megan is also interested in spirituality in a way that Anthony is not, she says. It makes me realize that, you know, maybe all these dating apps that ask us to line up all our interests or those kinds of things really might not be the ideal way of making a match because maybe it's more about whether you are there for someone, whether you feel comfortable with them. And, and I don't know, love is turning out to be a very interesting thing. When I talked to Megan, she and Anthony were still driving back and forth to see each other every couple weeks. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know where we're going to be after COVID or what, what we are like in the real world. You know, this, it, this has been a very bubbled time um, to have a relationship. So there are all these unknowns and we are just able to rest in the present and see what that's like. And so I'm discovering that he's amazingly attentive and generous. And, you know, he may not be emotionally expressive with words, which is really funny because words are his work. But when it comes to relationships, that's not how he operates. But he is 100% there and fun and appreciative to be together. In terms of that idea about being present without a plan, without already knowing the plan, do you think that's easier as you get older? Because I think that in early 20s, let's say, it's like, okay, here are the, here are the things on the list. But I don't know. I feel like over time, I'm more like, well, what would be fun for this next hour or this next day or this next week? But what do you think about that? Absolutely. I mean, there, I had felt a lot of pressure to get married because I wanted children. I knew more than anything else in my life, I wanted children. And as I got closer and closer to my 30s and friends of mine were having trouble getting pregnant, I thought, oh gosh, I better get married ASAP or this one thing that I know I've always wanted might not happen. I want to be in a relationship, but I want to make sure that I'm not giving up anything of who I am to be in that relationship. And I don't feel like I have to anymore. I think when I was younger and really feeling the need to start a family, I was willing to put aside a lot of my own personal needs and who I was. Now I can really just be true to myself. And so I'm trying to learn that exercise, to exercise that muscle of authenticity and really be myself in a relationship and bring that to a relationship. And make sure that I'm giving myself the space that I need to be me. It's my, it feels like a new chance to really just be me. And I'm loving that opportunity. One thing Megan and Anthony have been doing? Trying out each other's hobbies. He's been hiking and walking more. And they've been watching some shows together. He's even introduced me to the art of binge watching shows. So we've done a little bit of that. And, you know, when you only have a weekend with someone and you want to know what's going to happen next, you have to, like, keep watching. Keep going. What, wait, right. but give me some show names. Oh, gosh. Okay. Let's see. Um, friends from college. Okay. Okay. That was fun. Yeah. Um, of course, Bridgerton. Of course. Yes. Um, <laughs> what else have we seen? Uh, he started showing me one that was um, about, like, a horse that 
like ate hamburgers or something and <clears throat> I just couldn't get into it. I, okay, I that one I don't know, but <laughs> no, okay, okay. It was, too, it was bad, but he really liked I asked Megan, movies and I just what if someone were to say to you and Anthony, what are you two exactly? At first, she says, they agreed to date without commitments or promises, non-exclusive. But then I realized, oh my gosh, we're in COVID. I don't want you kissing anybody else. So then we said, well, we'll just be totally honest with each other. But then I didn't want to have any other relationships. So I think just recently I said to him, are we each other's one and onlys? And he said, um, yes. So I think we, I would say that we're in an exclusive relationship now. And I'm really happy to have, to have him in my life. And I guess I really don't want to think too far ahead. I want to be open to what comes along. And I... I am, I am feeling totally open and curious. Thank you so much for telling us your story. Meredith, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop and Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith does our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGorry and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Love Letters is also an advice column, so send your love and relationship questions to loveletters at boston.com. We're online at loveletters.show. I'm feeling a great deal of empathy for this allergic person who likes TV. I'm sure you know, I'm sure you know why. I'm like I'm like we we mean well. We 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 do try. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.